0: Alright, I want you to notice in verse 6 of 1 Chronicles chapter 22, it says, Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build an house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build an house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly. And hast made great wars, thou shalt not build a house under my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. So uh, we know that Solomon is the one who bit, built the original temple. But this was something that David wanted to do. This was something it was in his heart to do it. But one thing we also know about David: David went through some pretty bad times in his life. We often think of David as just this great guy that did all these great things. But David did some pretty bad stuff, too. And besides the sin of Bathsheba, there were some times, too, back when David was on the run from Saul where he kind of went through some dark times and dark places and killed a lot of people. And this was something that God was not pleased with. Now, it wasn't enough that God was done with David and just forgot about him. But when it came to this specific work, when it came to this one thing that David wanted to do, God said, you can't do it, David. And, you know, we need to understand sometimes there's things that you know, we might want to do, but we've kind of blown that chance there. For example, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire the good work, but there's some requirements that go along with that. And a lot of people have this attitude. Well, you know, God just forgives everything. And I understand God's forgiving and he's not going to give you an eternal punishment for your sins. But at the same time, there may be things on earth that you are not allowed to do. And David was not allowed to build this temple. Something that he really wanted to do. But notice, we're going to see here that David, though, he did not give up. You know, he didn't make excuses. He tells Solomon, I wasn't able to do this. It was in mine heart, but I shed blood. And it says, in, um, or God told me I can't do it. So it says in verse 9, Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. So God said the blessing is going to come for the next generation. Solomon's going to be the one that does this, not you. It says, he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then shalt thou prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of a good courage, dread not nor be dismayed. So he's telling them this is what you're supposed to do. I'm about to be done being king. I'm going to pass off the scene. When you become king, this is what you're supposed to do. He's giving us some clear direction here. So in verse 14, he says, Now behold, in my trouble, I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a thousand talents of silver, and of brass, and iron without weight. For it is in abundance, timber also, and stone have I prepared, that thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work of the gold, the silver and the brass and the iron. There is no number arise, therefore, and be doing and the Lord be with thee. So notice how David here has set Solomon up greatly for success. He said, I wasn't able to do this. But notice David didn't say, well, you know, what, because I can't be the one to build the house. I'm just going to do nothing. You know what he did? He said, Well, you know what? I can't be the one to build the house, but that doesn't mean I can't prepare my son so he can do it. It doesn't mean I can't collect all the materials for it and have it all ready to go. Just because I'm not going to be the one, just because I'm not going to see it, it doesn't mean I can't make sure that this happens as quickly as possible after I am I've passed off the scene and died. Solomon or David set up Solomon for success in a great way to do a great work for the Lord. And what I want to preach about tonight is helping your children succeed where you failed. Okay? Because understand, Solomon is one of very few examples in the Bible that I, I can think of, of someone who took over after a great leader and did better. I mean, Israel was at its peak during Solomon's reign. They, I mean, great things took place then. And the only other example I can think of somebody who probably did greater things than the previous leader who was a great leader was probably Joshua. I think you got Moses. Joshua did even better, I think. And then David and Solomon. I'm sure there might be other exceptions somewhere, but I can't really think of it. And so Solomon was a great example of that. But I believe one of the reasons Solomon was so great is because of what his father did. And you know, and we can talk and speculate about all these things, but I think it's just amazing too the story of Solomon, how when God came to him and said, Solomon, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And he wanted wisdom. I mean, where do you think that kind of desire came from? I mean, you know, David rubbed off on himself. You know, when you see his love for God that he had, when you read the things that David wrote, there's no doubt that David passed on some very good things to his son. So we do, we see an example. In the story of a man who was looking out for the next generation. And that is an attitude that we do not see much today. This used to be just the attitude from generation to generation. You know, we've heard it said before. I mean, I remember my dad's generation was always saying, and it ended up coming to pass, that you know, his generation was going to be the first generation that didn't leave a better world and a better country for the previous generation. Because, folks, our country's going downhill pretty fast. I mean, it's it's bad what's going on. We think because we have advancements in technology that we're doing better. But spiritually, we have not set the next generation up for success. We have They've been set up for failure, and they have been doing what they've been set up to do, and that's fail miserably. And we need to get back to that attitude of thinking about the next generation. But it's our culture to not think about the next generation. Our government is proof of that. Our government is just spending and spending and spending our nation into oblivion. I mean, our children, our grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, they are going to be paying back the debt. And you know what, folks? I wish I could blame the Democrats, but the Republicans are just as bad. Even Donald Trump, you know, who's supposed to just be this great financial guy, is still spending like crazy and running up the national debt. That is not thinking about the next generation. You know what you're thinking about? When you're spending like that, you're thinking about the here and now, you're thinking about the stock market, you're thinking about the next election, and I'm afraid our politicians today, they're all thinking about the next election instead of the next generation. Right now, it's you know 2020, it's an election year, every bill that's going to be going on in the Senate and the House, everyone is going to be making their decision based on how is this going to affect the election instead of how is this going to affect the next generation which is how they used to think. And I hate to get political right now, but it's just hard not to when, when you're talking about a subject like this. And this attitude of just thinking about the here and now, thinking about the next election, it is passed on in our culture. It's going on across the board. Churches aren't thinking about the next generation when it comes to the things they're teaching, You know the way, the way churches are working today. Families are not thinking that way. And part of it, too, If I just may go on a rabbit trail here. You know another reason we're not thinking about the next generation too? Why we're not passing anything on? Because we don't have anything to pass on to the next generation. You know why? We don't own anything. There was a time when people, they cared about this country. You know why? Because they owned property. They actually had land. They had an inheritance that they wanted to pass on to their children. But we don't have that today because anything we supposedly have is taxed like crazy. We pay property taxes forever. You can't just do whatever you want on your own land. So, you know, because we don't have anything to pass on to the next generation, we don't really care what happens to it, do we? And and are we not seeing that? I mean, the amount of just vacant homes that are in this country today, why is that? Because nobody takes care of their property because it's not their property. I mean, folks, that's bad. People used to take pride in what they owned and in their property and in their land and in their houses. But now, everybody just lets it fall apart. Just letting things just go to ruin. Why? Because they know, they're not even thinking, I want to have something to pass on to the next generation. And that is not okay. That is one of the problems in our, our country today. But you know, again, this thing has passed on spiritually. We're not passing anything on good to the next generation spiritually and we've got to do that we need to help our children succeed our society is so backwards in this thing we've got to think about the next generation so often though when someone gets saved later in life and they start learning all the things they did wrong you know there's often things by the time that they get saved that are undoable you know things that they can't fix you know I mean if you've been if you've had previous marriages and things you you can't undo that You know, if you fornicated, you can't, there's things you just can't undo and there's consequences that come with these things. But you know what you can do? You can have an attitude like David and say, you know, I've messed some things up pretty good for myself, but it doesn't mean I can't make sure my children are able to do much better. There's no reason why you know I might not be ever be able to serve the Lord in a certain way and in a certain area doesn't mean I can't make sure that my kids are going to be able to do it. That if my child, if my son has the desire to fulfill, you know, to have the office of a bishop, he's going to be able to do it because I'm going to make sure I prepare him for that kind of thing. And that's what David. I I, I love this story. I love how David. It was. It was such a true desire for him to see the house of the Lord built. It, it was. Literally, he proved that that desire was to just please God and not please himself because he knew he was going to be dead when it came. God had told David, "You're not going to do this," but David still said, "I'm going to get everything ready for it." I mean, folks, people aren't doing that today. That's just, that's not how people think, but it's, it is how they thought back in those days. And so, let's look at some things that David did. When it came to setting Solomon up for success, that we can do when it comes to our children. Because this is the attitude we need to be thinking about. We need to set them up for success. Our culture stinks, folks. I am embarrassed by the American culture. I really am. I don't think I'm proud of being American anymore. Alright? I'm thankful to be an American. You know, I'm glad I live in this country instead of some other country, but I'm not going to go and have pride in a messed up country just because we're better than other countries. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be ashamed. I'm going to be humble about it. And I'm going to try and not be like this country because we're doing everything wrong when it comes to finances, just culture, when it comes to family. We're doing everything wrong. So let's look at some things that David did and let's figure out how we can pass these on in our family. So first off, notice in verse 16 of 1 Chronicles 22, it says, Ahem. Or in um, verse 11, Now he says, "Now my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as He hath said of thee. Notice how David told Solomon, This is what you need to do. You know what he did? He gave clear direction. He gave clear direction. He gave instruction. Now understand, none of us here are kings. Okay, none of us here are kings, but David was a king. His son was going to be a king, so he's letting him know: here's what you need to do as a king. Here's your first priority as a king. And Solomon knew what to do. Now we're not kings, but we are fathers. We are husbands. You know, we have a lot. We're Christians. There's a lot of responsibilities that we have. There's things we're supposed to do, you know, and we need to make sure that our children know, all right, this is what it's, this is what it's like to be a father. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to prepare yourself because, you know, you know, my, my boys are getting older, you know, they want wives and things like that. And so I've, I've told them, well, you want to get a wife, you better have a job first. hey. Right? And that's why my son's willing to work, you know, in the place that I was talking about today that I'm thankful I finally escaped. Right? You know, because, and you know, and he's thankful to be doing it. You know, today he had a good day. He got to see his, you know, first pay stub for, you know, a two week period. And you know, and so he's, he's feeling pretty good about it right now. You know, it doesn't feel that good when it's cold. It doesn't feel that good when you're working hard. It doesn't feel that good when you get up at 2.30 in the morning. But at the same time, you know, he has, you know, he's got that paycheck, and this week, him and Jason are, they are gonna get sat down, and they are gonna be showed, shown how to do a budget. And I'm going to give them an extremely harsh lesson, where I'm gonna speak some blunt truths, that I probably can't even say anywhere else, alright? You all think I preach hard here, okay? I, I, I preach even harder at home, okay? You know, I'm gonna teach them, that, okay, here's how much money you're making, okay? While it's a lot of money to be making as a single man, it's not a lot of money to be making as a married man with children, okay? Right? You're not a high roller, so you're not going to be living it up. You're not going to be going and just buying all these things. I already told him this week, is like, you know, when you're making the kind of money you're making, you know, if you have a wife and kids, you know, you're not able to just go and buy beef jerky in the gas station, all right? As much as I like that stuff, I can't afford it. It's expensive. And you know, the thing is, I don't want him to have a big culture shock when all of a sudden he gets married and has kids and then, you know, has to live like a person who's married and has kids. You know, so he, you know he's not making, you know, he's not going to be making millions of dollars where he's at. So I've, I've got to show him and I'm going to, I'm going to tell him this is where, you know, with this kind of money you're making, this is the kind of house payment you can afford. This is the kind of car payment you can afford. This is how much you're going to probably be spending on food. And I'm going to make him start saving that money. To prepare. Because he's single and living at home. What do you think he's going to do with all that money that's, that's coming in? You know, he's going to be able to buy the latest, you know, PlayStations and all the latest video games and, you know, buy all the skins on Fortnite. Apparently people spend like hundreds of dollars for these skins and things on games. What's the point? When people, I mean, they spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on these games. And it's like, first off, if you spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on a game, you're a loser. But but here's the thing. If you're, doing, if you're doing that kind of thing, you're not going to be able to afford to be married and have kids. And most of these guys that do that don't have wives and kids. You know, they are. They're, and it's – so I'm, I'm going to show them. You, know, you need to start – you need it right now – start living like you're poor because that's what's going to happen when you have a wife and kids. You know, I I don't want to be in for a culture shock. It's just, it's the way it is. You know, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful I grew up poor because it wasn't a big transition when I got married. You know, my wife, she came from a family that was a little better off than I was and she had to have the culture shock. And I tried to warn her. I remember I went to Walmart one time with her and her mom and I was just, we were walking through there, and she was like, I need this, I need this. And her mom's just, whatever she would say she needed, need, her mom's like putting in the cart. And I'm just looking at all that stuff, and I'm like doing the math in my head. And I remember thinking, yeah, she's not going to be able to do that when we get married. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's not going to happen. And when we got married, you know, it, I was one, I was handling all the money and everything, and it was this constant, you know, we need, I need this, I need this. And I was like, I don't have, we don't have enough money. She's like, but I need it. But I don't have enough money. <laughs> you know. And so we had you know, we had many fights over the money thing and, and so finally I was like, you know what? You need to start handling the checkbook because she was the one buying all the groceries and everything. And you know, and she's like, You never give me enough money for groceries. You know? And I wasn't giving her very much money for groceries. Alright, she could tell you about that, but the thing is I was giving her what I had. <laughs> and you know, it was it was a little bit of a culture shock. And the thing is, though, I will tell you a lot of the problems and the struggles that I had could have been avoided had I, you know, been a little better prepared. Okay. And the one, you know, and I'm I thankful I was prepared. My dad instilled two major things in me. And one was work hard and you pay your bills on time. And so I always did those two things. I've always paid my bills on time and I've always had to work really hard to do it. But you know one it, but it's it's never been easy. I was never good at saving or anything like that and just planning ahead. I had to, I had to learn all that stuff on my own and one and one of the things that where I feel like I've set my son up for success better than where I was set up for when I was his age, I was making 8 dollars an hour. Okay? Now, I understand things change, but that still wasn't even very good back then. But the thing is, I was fine. I was buying beef jerky at the gas stations all the time, making $8 an hour, because I was living at home. My parents didn't charge me rent. I took a trip to Israel. I was able to save up and pay for a trip to Israel. You know why? Because I was living at home, and I didn't have any bills. But then, all of a sudden, I'm almost, I'm 19, almost 20, and then me and my wife got engaged. And all of a sudden, you know, my dad's like, yeah, you're not going to make it on $8 an hour. And then, I ended up getting a better job at the Walmart distribution center out there, but it was only a few months before we got married. I didn't really have time to save. And I remember I used to think when I would be doing the bills and stuff, why did I eat that beef jerky, you know, 22 years ago? Why why did I make all those fast food stops and drink all those milkshakes? You know, I should have been saving that money because I could really use it right now. But, you know, I just, I didn't see that. But the thing is, you know, I think my parents enjoyed that job that I was doing because I was working for people that were from our church. I was in a good environment. You know, they didn't have to worry about me getting in trouble, but I also wasn't making very much money. And so I, you know, I told him, you know, you if, you, if you're wanting to get a wife stuff, you better start right now. You know, you better you're, you better get out of your comfort zone right now. And I'm trying, I'm, I want to give clear direction. This is what you have to do financially. This is what you need to prepare for financially. People are not being prepared, folks. We, you see what's going on with money these days. You know, we're, we're seeing all the young, able-bodied people go into welfare and things like that. They're just discouraged. They're overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. Young people file on bankruptcy all the time. They're just, they're not prepared. They are not educated When it comes to money and when it comes to paying bills, they have no idea. You've got to get that stuff figured out. You've got to make sure you pass it on and let them know. We've got all these college kids going, running up student loans like crazy, only to get degrees in things that's not going to help them get a job. And they're going, they're graduating from college with all this student loan, these student loans, and then they're getting jobs, barely making anything. Why are they doing that? You know why? Because there's no parents out there with enough wisdom to say, you know what? That liberal arts degree is not going to do a thing for you. You know, going and running up $100,000 or more in student loans, you know, in certain areas, it's not going to do a thing for you. You'd be better off learning a trade. You'd be better off just learning how to work hard and saving some money during those early years. But we're not seeing that today. Nobody's helping them out. The parents are like, oh, you know, whatever they're telling you to do on TV commercials, you know whatever they're promoting in the public schools, do that, and it doesn't work. We've got to give clear instruction to our children on how to live. Turn over to Psalms chapter 32. Now this is just my opinion. Right, let me just state my opinion, but I think it's interesting the way we read this psalm here, or this the story where David is giving clear instruction to his son. He's trying to tell him what to do. He's trying to tell him how he needs to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments. He's trying to set him up to be a good king. And this is just my opinion, but I just picture this particular psalm here maybe being something David wrote around that time. I don't know. When I was studying this, I just kind of got a picture in my head, David being the musical guy that he was. As he's telling Solomon all these things in First Chronicles chapter 22, all of a sudden he pulls out his harp and breaks out into song and sings Psalm chapter 32 is what i personally think because notice it says a psalm of david uh uh masculine okay and what is what is masculine i, I looked it up and that is a didactic poem which A didactic poem is something that is intended to teach. It's something to give instruction. That's kind of the motive. Some songs are just meant to sound good, but some songs are meant to teach things, all right? Like the ABCs or something like that. You know, there's all these songs we learn in school. that just, they help you learn. They help teach you things. That's what this particular psalm is right here. This psalm is written with the intention of teaching something. So let's read what it says. And I just kind of picture this being given to Solomon during that time, whether it was or wasn't, it doesn't really matter. Either way, this is something that's meant to teach. Let's And let's look and see what it says. In Psalm 32, it says, A psalm of David, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. Now, I bring this up because... This is my opinion, all right? I hope I'm not adding anything to the Scriptures. But David tells his son, the reason I'm not able to build the house of the Lord is because I'm a blo- I am was a bloody man. I was a man of war. God wouldn't let me do it. But, you know, even though David has done some bad things and he has been punished on earth, you know what? David was not lost. He was not on his way to hell. And so while there are consequences for sins, it's like he's reminding some, but you know what? There is forgiveness too. I'm gonna to go to heaven. My sins are forgiven. My iniquities are, are, or my sins are covered. You know, God is not gonna impute iniquity to me. He's just reminding them God is merciful during this time. He's not blaming God. Well, the Lord's not gonna let me build a house because apparently he has a problem with shedding of blood. You know, like some people, well, apparently I can't be a pastor because God's got a problem with divorce. Don't have that attitude. How are you gonna teach your kids not to do the same thing? If you have a bad attitude about it, you know what? Acknowledge what you did. Accept the consequences. And encourage your children not to do the same thing. But you know, but at the same time, let them know, even though there's consequences, God is still good. There's still hope of heaven. There's still salvation. So he says in verse 3, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night they, uh, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned turn into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto thee. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding Whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. So notice how David says, you know, he's talking about. Uh, he said, "I will instruct thee, I will teach thee in the way which thou shalt go." And he said, "Don't be like that, you know, mule. Don't be like that horse that's got to have a, a bit put in his mouth and a bridle to control him. Don't be." stubborn you know what he's telling his son learn the lessons quick okay when you mess up don't be stubborn confess it get it right because the reason that david was not able to do what he wanted to do is because of the fact that he did he messed up and obviously was stubborn he had obviously just you know wasn't learning his lessons quick enough just kept making mistakes and he's telling his son man don't 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 do that i ruined an opportunity for myself because i wouldn't learn my lesson I acted like a horse, I acted like a mule, don't be that way, be tender with God when you mess up, admit it you know confess your sins to him and no he'll forgive you of those sins god's anxious he 's ready to forgive, but when you push him when you're stubborn he's going to punish you, and it's going to have consequences that you're not going to be able to just you know to, to get over and so he says, you know many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord Mercy shall compass him about he 's not telling him you 're going to have to be perfect you 're going to be dependent on forgiveness you 're going to be dependent on mercy, but just make sure. You know, you're, you're quick about it. Don't be stubborn. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, ye that are upright in heart. So, you know, he he kind of ends it with a praise there. And so notice what, some things that David did in here that you all need to do as parents to set your children up, especially in areas where you failed, and that is acknowledge your transgressions like David did. And, and I, don't, I don't believe parents necessarily need to go and just tell their kids about every bad thing that they did. And, you know, there's stuff that you don't want to relive and, and talk about, maybe things that you're embarrassed about. But, you know, don't try to pretend that you're always the same. Don't try to pretend that you never messed up. You know, let your children know that when you're really strict with them on something, that there's a reason for it. That You know, that, that, let them know this is, their, this is an area where I got in a lot of trouble. This is an area that really hurt me in my life. And I don't want to see you go through that same pain. So, you know, learn, learn from this. Acknowledge your transgressions and don't pretend you don't have any regrets. Let them know about your regrets. Cause you know, there's just something in children, I think it's in their DNA, where they just tend to want to do a lot of things their parents did. And so you better educate them on the consequences of those things. Let them know what they are. Let them know too, though, like David did, that there's hope if they mess up. And David talked a lot in there about God's forgiveness. Let them know there's always hope, because your kids aren't going to be perfect. They're going to mess up. Let them know they can get things right, but let them know they don't have to mess up. Okay? Don't. It's like a lot of people think, you know, it's just what kids do. You know, they got to sow their wild oats and they got to, you know, you know, let them make their mistakes. No, why don't we let them avoid those mistakes? If you made those same mistakes, and that's how a lot of parents are, oh, you know, I, that's what I did when I was a kid. And, and you're okay with them doing that too? You know, you've been paying the consequences with it for years. You know, you weren't able to get a good job because of all these things that you had in your criminal record. You want that going on with your son? You know, you 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 ended up with some bum as, uh, as a woman. You really want that kind of thing for your daughter? You want her to have to deal with that kind of stuff? You better let them know that they don't have to mess up. A lot of people think that's just how it is. You know, that's how people are with divorce these days. Well, you know, everybody's getting divorced these days. No, not everybody. And okay, your parents got divorced. That doesn't mean you have to. Not if you learn from their mistakes. So... You know, he said in there, "I will instruct thee and teach thee." And to instruct and teach, it means you are verbally telling them what to do. But not only that. Okay, let me all help you all out here. A lot of parents are really good at verbally telling their kids what to do. Okay? Anybody can yell out commands, but for to instruct and teach, that implies you're telling them what to do, but then you're making sure they understand it. Okay, you're making sure that they get it. You're making sure they know how to do it. Okay, So like for David, for example, when he tells Solomon, hey, go build that temple, notice how he says, hey, I've got the materials all ready for you to go. I've got the workers all ready for you to go. He had everything all lined up, all ready to go. He didn't just say, go build a temple, figure out how it's done. David did as much of that stuff as he could ahead of time, so it'd be easy for Solomon to do. And a lot of parents, they do, they, just, they tell their kids, you know, go do this, you know, don't be lazy, go get a job, but you know, they don't, you know, you, have, you realize you have to teach them how to actually apply for jobs if they've never done that before. You know, you got to teach them how to go to the DMV. And do all the things they need to do to get their driver's license. You actually have to instruct them on how to drive. I understand you can pay for driving schools and things, but there's a lot of things you have to do. You know, one of the things I'm going to have to do with Tommy here uh, pretty quick is when he starts getting his benefits, I'm going to have to go through. I'm going to have to tell him which ones he wants to sign up for. You know, do you think he knows at his age? You know, about 401ks and things like that. That's one of the mistakes I made too. When I started, when I was in Spring Valley, I didn't even know what a 401k was. They they came to me and they like, "Yeah, you want you want to contribute to your 401k?" No, <laughs> I didn't know. I I, I had no I, you know, I, I had no idea. And then there was some that they contributed. They had like a profit sharing program they did where they contributed money. But then when I quit, I can't remember how many thousands of dollars I had in there that was like company contributed. And then they were just like, when I was quitting, I had to decide what to do with it. And they're like, well, do you want to roll it over into another, like an IRA? Or you know, do you just want to take cash out? I didn't even know what an IRA was. Uh, I'll just cash it out. You know. And then later, when I went and I started learning about those things, I learned I paid a 20% fee. I mean, right off the bat. Plus, I paid taxes on that money I kept. That was a stupid thing to do. But I didn't know. She said, do "You want to roll it over in an IRA, which was like speaking Greek to me, or cash out? Hey, cash out. That sounds great. What do you think most young people are going to do in that situation? And that's that's exactly what I did. You know, you—it's like parents. They do. They just—they think their kids, especially when they send them to public schools and stuff, they just think they are—they know everything now. No, they don't. You have got to help them out with that stuff. You've got to, You've got to show them." how that works, you've got to educate them on that kind of thing. And it's just not happening. And that's why so much dumb stuff is being done. That's why so many foolish decisions are made. And people aren't being warned. Nobody's nobody's telling these young men that, hey, if you go and you commit this crime and you know, you get a misdemeanor, you get a felony, you realize one what you're going to have to start filling out applications and they're going to ask you about these things and you're going to have to tell the truth. And if you don't, just because you went on that joyride in that car or something like that, you're not going to be able to get a job. You're going to end up getting a crummy job somewhere. You're not going to be making a whole lot of money because of one thing. Is it worth it? Is it worth sacrificing a good job for a joyride in somebody else's car? And it's like these, a lot of times too, these people, they did this stuff like in their early teenage years. And then when they turn 17 or 18, some of them actually do want to grow up. They actually are, you know, decent people. They learn their lesson. They want to be responsible. But now they are constantly battling the consequences of what they did. One stupid thing that they did. You know, they should have been warned about that. And you better, I mean, I've always used the scariest warnings that I possibly could for my kids. You know, I've always told my boys, uh, and girls, you know about just you know the worthless, lazy bums. You know I do. When they didn't want to do their schoolwork, you know I'd point I'd point out you know the derelicts out there and the bums and the crummy houses. That's the kind of house you're gonna live in. And you don't do your schoolwork. Do you want to live in a house like that with a woman like that? That's the life you're gonna get right there. You see that horror story right there? You say you know you, you shouldn't. Ju- no, that is reality, folks. You better believe I'm gonna scare my kids to death with that. You know that young girl out there, that little hussy that looks good right now, that you know your son's attracted to? You know what you need to do? You need to show her that girl ten years from now. After she some guy's had his way with her. And after she's you know done some years of drinking and doing drugs. You need to go you need to go show him that woman. Because let me tell you, there's a there are there's a lot of just horror stories out there there's a lot of meth mouths out there there's a lot of tattooed up freak show females out there that were attractive teenage girls at one time but sin got a hold of their life some worthless bum out there that just wanted to have some fun with them got a hold of them and understand if they're going to be the worthless bum that's who they're going to get if they're going to go and give time to that hussy like that she is going to turn into that that's just reality and these are harsh realities, but folks, these are the truths that you got to speak to your kids. You need to tell them these horror stories because these are true horror stories. Let me tell you something a lot more scarier than Dracula, and that is a woman like that. You know, when you're in Walmart, you hear that woman just nagging her husband, and just, you know, you, you see that mom out there cussing out her kids and things, and she is. She's just, you know, I don't want to talk too much about looks, but she looks like something nobody wants to look at. You need to let your son know where they people like that come from. You need to let them know that if they go after a certain type of female, that is what she is going to transform into. And but you know, how are they going to know that? Okay, a teenage you know, normal people are attracted to people their age, aren't they? And so, when you have a 16, 17, 18 year old boy, he's attracted to 16, 17, and 18 year old girls. He has not lived long enough to watch a woman that he's paid any attention to go from, you know, 16 to 26 and see just how much of a horrible transformation can take place during that time through rough living. They've not had that. Now, you've seen that. So, that's why you've got to come in and you've got to show them the future. You need to teach them little nuggets of wisdom like, look at her mother. All right. that's what she 's going to turn into, and I hate to scare some of the husbands and everything here you know but i mean god 's gracious sometimes he can spare them from that fate, but you' all understand that you know the principle works there that's that's usually what's that's usually what's going to happen, and that's why you know men don't like mother in laws usually you know it's usually a uglier older, fatter, meaner version of your wife, you know, and so it's like you don't you don't want that you don't you, you know you, You don't want to look into that future and be reminded of that. You know, you don't want to see it, so you just kind of just—it's—it's a natural thing because we've all been—you know—we've all been there. So you know, you need to verbally show them. You need to make sure they understand it. You know, he says, "I will guide thee with with mine eye." You know, to guide with the eye, it implies a close relationship and being present. Okay, all parents in here, you know how to give your kid a look and say a lot with a look, don't you? You know, you know how to give them that death stare. You know how to, I mean, most, you know, most of your parents, you know how to look at your kids in a way that with your eye, you're able to say, you're getting spanked when we get home. And have you ever seen, even Kelly, as young as she is, there's times when she knows not to look at us. It's like she knows she's doing something she's not supposed to. You're trying to get her attention. And it's like she's on purpose not looking at you. You know why? Because, Even though she's a baby, she understands that stare. And she knows, and she she doesn't want to see it. You know, that's their way of avoiding that. But understand, to guide with the eye, that implies presence. That implies uh, a child who actually knows you and has a relationship. And so that's what David's saying to his son. I will instruct thee and teach thee the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my eye. He didn't say, I'm going to send you to the public school and let them tell you what, what all to do. You know, I'm just going to show you a YouTube video, you know, let you figure it out, you know, just Google it. You know, that, no, that's not, that's not the way it works. We need to give the instruction. So first thing we see, David gave him a clear direction. Secondly, we see that he did, he supplied him with all the proper tools. We're not going to read it again, but I might need to spend a couple weeks on this. I'm not going through this very fast, but verses 14 through 16, you know, he lays out all the things that he's left for him. He's like, this is what you need to do. Here's the tool. Here's the materials you need. Here's all the workers. Everything you need to do this. It's right here in front of you. I've prepared it all for you. We, this morning during Sunday school, we talked about Proverbs chapter one which is Solomon now passing some things on to his son. He's trying to pass on wisdom. He's trying to pass on instruction. He's trying to make sure he, that he has understanding. You remember all those things we talked about there. We need to make sure that our children want, have a Bible and know how to use it. And it's one thing to just give them a Bible. They need to know how to use it. And, you know, so for example, so, you know, not only do your children need to know what a tool does, but they need to actually see, observe you, use that tool. That, that's another important thing. Have you ever seen that person that was using a tool? you can tell they never used that tool before? Or we've all seen those videos before of people in the gym that have no idea what they're doing with the equipment. And it, it's, it's pretty funny to watch. But the thing is, you know, a lot of things that we learn, especially when it comes to just how we work, how we do the, we learn from observation you know the amount of things that your kids pick up from you just mannerisms facial expressions just reactions to things it's just from watching their parents they're they're watching them they're they're picking up on all these things and so you've got to actually set the example and so here's the thing though you say well you know this is an area where I messed up you know in, in my past but you know your kids weren't there in the past you know now they need to see you doing things right Maybe you didn't have any self-control when you're their age. Show them how to have self-control now, at an older age. You know, make sure at least all that they know is you doing you doing things the right way. Um, You know, just because you've messed up before, and you know before they're around, you can make sure what they that they only see you doing things right. They need to they need to see you succeed with the tools that you're trying to pass on. They need to see you. They need to make, you know, you need to make sure you were successful in how you use your Bible. That you didn't just know stuff, but you did stuff. You know, that you didn't just repeat back instructions, but, you know, you understood these things and you lived them. Here's one thing, too. I could preach a whole message on this of things that there's a lot of people in churches today. They are doing all the right things when it comes to outwardly. They are physically doing the right things, but they are not doing these things from the heart. You know, they're following all the rules on the outside, but they're not—they're not doing it from the heart. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm just going to go and give this line now because I gave it to my wife. She's going to use it on her program tomorrow. I was like, I was—I was thinking about preaching on this, but now she's going to do her thing. People think I'm stealing messages from her, but I'm—I'm I'm first here. But I said, you know to learn how there's a difference between being conformed and transformed. Remember the Bible says, "Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." Well, did you know there's a lot of people that are in churches today that they have not been transformed, but they have been they went from being conformed to the world to conformed to the church. But the Bible says it doesn't say, "Be not conformed to this world, but be conformed to the church." It's not what the Bible says. It says, "But be transformed." By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Too many people are coming into churches today conforming only for when they get bent out of shape and something doesn't go right for them to just walk away and then go right back to being conformed to the world. A person who is transformed, that's a person who has actually come, they've listened, they've learned, and they get it and they believe it. And they are doing it from the heart. They are doing it out of conviction. And folks, if you are at home and you're faking this Baptist thing, if you're faking this Christian thing, your kids are gonna figure that out. They're gonna see it. You know what you're gonna train them to do? You're gonna train them to be a phony. You're going to train them to be a Pharisee. You would be better off being a flaming liberal. If that's what you are in your heart, if that's what you really think, you, if, you are a, if, if, if in your heart you're wearing skinny jeans, you would be better off just wearing the skinny jeans than coming to this church and dressing like a man. Do you all understand that? Because all you're doing is you're training your next generation to be a phony. You know what? Show them how to wear pants like a man and do it from the heart. Do it out of conviction. And if you're just not there, I wouldn't even mess with it. They don't need to be trained out to be a phony. That's something we can naturally figure out. But we do. we got a lot of professional phonies in churches today. And they're all the people that end up on the Internet in the future. And you know, I used to go to that cult, and I did all this. I did all the soul winning like they said you ought to do. I wore all the clothes that they said you ought to wear. I followed all the rules, but, you know, I was just doing it for man because I was you know, I was in a cult, and I was following a cult leader. No, that, that's baloney. You know, you know what you were? You were a phony the whole time. You know there actually are people in fundamental Baptist churches that believe that you ought to dress the way we dress. You know there's there's actually people in fundamental Baptist churches that actually believe in soul winning. That believe that salvation is simple. And you couldn't stop these people from doing it if you wanted to. Because they believe it. They have been convinced But we're all made to look like phonies all the time because of all the losers coming in that are just conformist. And then they think everybody's like that because I was a phony. Everybody was a phony. Listen, punk, some of us have been doing this thing for almost 40 years and have no intention of quitting, have no, have no desire to quit, you know, could have quit and done something else, could have quit and done something easier, but didn't want to because We know it's right. And we're we're not all phonies, but folks, there's plenty of phonies in every Baptist church. And you might just, you know, you might be early on in this thing and you're still just trying to figure it out. But be careful about just, you know, turning on a dime. You know, be fully persuaded in your own mind before you start doing these things. Before you go and just throw out all your wife's old wardrobe, man, make sure. You know, we're telling, make sure we're not a cult You know, make sure that we're actually, you know, teaching what the Bible says to do. Not enough people are doing that. And let me tell you something. We're not a cult. I don't know of a Baptist church. It is a cult. But let me tell you, a lot of people come to Baptist churches looking to join a cult. A lot of people go to new IFV churches looking to join a cult. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, we, there is a bunch of people in this movement that have every intention of joining a cult. And you know what happens? They all get mad when they find out it's not a cult. They're one of the first ones to throw a big hissy fit when they find out it's not a cult. You know, They don't know, they, they don't know what to do when they come into the church and they find out. Not everybody does everything exactly the way the pastor says to do. And they get bent out of shape about it. And then they want to, they want to leave the church, or oh, you know what? Because they came to join a cult, they came to join a church where everybody in the church was exactly like the pastor that they liked. But uh, the Lord didn't call me to start a church, and I, I have or he, he called me to start a cult, he called me to start a church, or He's a chief shepherd, and that's what I want to do. And that's all we have time for on that. We'll probably continue this next week, but. We've got to get back into this attitude of thinking about the next generation. We're, we're forgetting all about that. And you need to help them succeed, especially in the areas where you have failed. It is not—you might have you, Some things might be too late for you, but it is not too late for your kids. Let's get back in this mindset and let's learn from what David did. I think this is a great example we see. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much. For all your blessings, I pray, dear God, that you'll help us to follow these things. I pray you'll help us to value these wonderful treasures you've given us with children. And I pray you'll help us to uh, follow these examples that we see that David did. We we just give clear instruction. We provide all the tools that they could possibly need. We show them how to use them. I pray that we will be real in the things we do. Lord, help us not to be conformed to the church. Lord, help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I pray uh, that people will do the right things that they're doing for the right reasons. So they don't just train their kids to be another phony and another hypocrite. I pray, I pray it will be real. In your name, we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand.